There we go. All right, good morning. Hebrews, we're going to dig in. We're going to go through it line by line. Uh, This is a massively important book for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, it's a book that's not often studied. Uh, Within the sort of canon of evangelical Christianity, there tends to be the sort of canon within the canon, and there are some books that we put outside. We don't want to talk about those books. We don't want to deal with the things that are in those books. We don't want to look at those books. And Hebrews happens to be one of them for a couple of reasons. One, well, to be frank, there's a lot of blood. Uh, there's a lot of animal sacrifice. There's a lot of stuff about the Old Testament. And for the most part, many of us aren't even comfortable with dealing with or know how to do anything with the Old Testament. And so we'll dig in there. This is actually a helpful lens for that. Um, and at the core of this book, though, why it, and why it is so important, uh, at the core of this book, you have a people who are, who are essentially uh, doing something other than the gospel. You have a bunch of people who... Uh, who have gotten lost and wandered into myths and ideas and tried to add to Jesus or add to the gospel or to do other, something other than making Jesus the center point. And the author of Hebrews is going to try and draw these folks back into the reality of who Jesus is. And so we're going to start here in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, I'll go ahead and read them and then we can pray. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Please pray with me. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day and this is your word. Lord God, help us not to add to it. Help us not to add to who you are. Help us not to add uh, legalisms or rules or regulations uh, to what the gospel is. Help us to add nothing to your completed work on our behalf. Help us to see you for who you are, Jesus. Uh, To walk in your ways and to live for your glory. I pray the things that are just of me they would be forgotten, that I would not be a distraction, Jesus, but that your truth would shine and that we would see you and your love for us and what you've done to save us from ourselves and give us life, Jesus, and we would see it so clearly today. And we can only do that if you'd send us your Holy Spirit, so we pray for that Holy Spirit be with us. Be thick in this room today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and to know the truth about who you are, Jesus. God, we love you with all our hearts. These things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Hebrews, interesting book. Uh, one of the few books in the New Testament. We're not really sure who the author is, Barnabas or Apollos, I think, but that's my theory. This is when I put the thing over my head and say, I don't know either. Nobody does. Um, I think it's probably Apollos or Barnabas, but I digress. Um, We also don't know exactly who it's written to, except for we know it's written to a group of uh, folks who come from a Jewish background, uh, who have walked with Jesus for a time, and after a season have begun to do a couple of things. They've done a couple of things. They've either begun to add to Jesus, or they've become bored and passionless towards Jesus. They're either doing Jesus plus... Yeah, we'll be Christians, and, and yeah, Jesus finished it all. He paid the price for my sins. He saved me from Satan's sin and death, gave me life. But that's so boring. Let's move on to something else and something more interesting. Or it's a group of people who have lost their passion for who he is. And, and as a result, people are either wandering away or beginning to add stuff, monkeying around, or doing weird stuff with this life in Christ. And so the author of Hebrews is going to beat the drum over and over and over again. He's going to say, 
Jesus is the better, and you can fill in a blank. Jesus is the superior, whatever, whatever, whatever. He'll take all these Old Testament images and say, hey, you think that's awesome? Oh man, Jesus is the better version of that. Moses, Jesus is the better Moses. Abraham, Jesus is the better Abraham. Temple, tabernacle, Jesus is the better tabernacle. Jesus is the better this, Jesus is the better that, Jesus is the better this. Because what's happened is they've begun to believe a, a thing that we often believe. That it's about the things that they do, they do, not who they are. And ultimately not who Jesus is. They begin to define their, their, their Christianity by the things they do. And whether or not they're doing things is whether or not they're authentic. They begin to make authentic spirituality uh, based on ritual, based on thing, based on action And they've missed the origin for all these things is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that God Himself entered into human history to save us from ourselves and give us life. Or they've just become bored. Or they've become persecuted at times. And they've just wandered away. It became easier for them at work not to say they were a Christian. It became easier to avoid the conversation because they knew how it was going to go. And frankly, we are prone to both of these. We are prone in big ways to both of these, right? We're prone to either say, okay, yeah, yeah, gospel, ABC. Yeah, Jesus saved sinners, cool. Now what? Do you think there's a now what after that? This is, this is cataclysmic, life-shifting, defining of everything. Or, to be frank, we just find other things more interesting. We lose our passion and we get passionate about whatever is cool, there's a, a, a sushi box in uh, Greenwood that we can go to and tell all our, evangelize all our friends to the, the drive-up sushi place. Come and find out the great treasures of food or wooden boat building or whatever the thing that you do is foosball, right? And we're quick to do that. And, and, and we find ourselves then either wandering into action and behavior and we realize, man, I've been doing all this stuff, trying to serve, trying to be on mission, trying to do all these things, and I forgot Jesus. Or we just go on watching Seinfeld and realize, oh yeah, I haven't even thought about Jesus today. Now what's amazing uh, about this letter and about what we're about to hear is that the author of Hebrews' answer to that is not even to just give them a scolding, right? Bad Christians, try harder. right? Because that only feeds their sin. It only feeds what they're already doing. In these three verses, he's going to tee off the book by the way that he's going to do the rest of the book. And he's going to say, okay, if you're bored with Jesus, you need to see Jesus. And if you think there's something to add to the gospel, some ritual, some rite, some action, some activity, something that will make you have real Christian living, you need to see Jesus. Come back to Jesus. So here we go. Starting in verse 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Two words. Two of the most powerful words in the English language. God spoke. This is the basis for all Christian living. This is the basis for everything. We have a God who is not a random idea. Uh, He is not a theology textbook checklist. Uh, He is not... uh, I think in Seattle we so commonly default to uh, Star Wars mode. Uh, God's sort of impersonal. He'll do stuff when you need Him. You know? Karma, He'll help you out, whatever. We have sort of impersonal. But He's not a a person to us. 
at the, at the core of our understanding of the universe is that God is not an abstraction, but God is a person. God is personal. God is three persons in one, the Trinity. And God has revealed Himself in history. That's why we get up in the morning. God spoke. God chose to reveal Himself. If you're a Christian, He chose to reveal Himself to you. The God of the universe chose to reveal Himself to you. And how often do we just not even pause and breathe that in? He didn't reveal Himself to you because you're awesome. He didn't reveal Himself to you because He's like, oh man, that guy would be a good foosball partner. I really need that guy on my team. He revealed Himself to you because He's gracious and He reveals Himself to you because that's what He does. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is the basis of what we do. The core of Christianity is not just sort of a set of dusty beliefs or like not, not sinning or whatever, whatever the thing is. Like That is not it. The core of Christianity is the reality of Jesus and that God has revealed Himself to Jesus and that is the very bare essential of our life. And in these three verses, we're going to get all of human history Beyond that, we're going to get all of history in these three verses, compact into three sentences, three verses, a few sentences. My kids like Star Wars, but they're little kids, so they can't watch Star Wars. Um, but they can watch the three-minute Lego version of Star Wars, and it turns out you can take the first three movies, and you can condense them into about three minutes of stop action, and then you watch it, and you're like, why did I waste all that time watching those movies? Uh, <laughs> there's not much there, right? That's what he's about to do for us here starting with God spoke. Long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He is pointing us to all of Old Testament history. He's saying, hey guys, remember this thing you're getting enamored with? You're forgetting Jesus and that He saves sinners and you're getting into Gospel Plus and you're kind of getting back into the old ritual and the temple. And specifically, He talks a lot about the tabernacle and the incense and the cool stuff that's there. And it's a building and there's a sacrifice and, it's, and you can wrap your hands around it and it's, and it's there and he's saying in all that you're missing Jesus who's everywhere and you're missing the fact that all of those things that you have were pointing forward to what he was going to do. And many times in many ways God spoke. That's how God speaks. He didn't just speak to one guy. He didn't just speak one time. God speaks in many times in many ways. Uh, to Moses it was the burning bush. Hey Moses, stop hurting sheep. I need you to go talk to Pharaoh. That's the remix. Is not line and verse out of the ESV. Speaks to Elijah in a small, still voice. And God still speaks, and the way he speaks is in a variety of ways, but the clearest way he's spoken is here. Is here. It's that Emmaus Road experience. Jesus in Luke 24. A couple of guys, Jesus has been crucified. A couple of guys are walking on the road. Yeah, that whole Jesus thing, that was cool. I thought he was going to come save the world and stuff, and then he died on a cross, whatever. And then Jesus sort of sidles up next to him and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they don't recognize him. He sidles up. That's an old-timey word that you get when you listen to too much Johnny Cash. Uh, he sidles up next to them. That's, he sneaks up next to them. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Oh, yeah, this thing, it was cool. We thought Jesus was it. We thought he was the point, and then he died. And so I guess that was that. And it says in 24 and 27, that starting from the beginning, he reveals to them everything. He reveals to them how the Old Testament is about him. Is about him. And, and we miss this all the time. And I think honestly that's why so many of us stay out of the Old Testament. You're like, that thing's weird. I don't even know what to do with it. Uh, but the whole point is from the beginning, it's talking about who Jesus is. Long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke 
to our fathers by the prophets. But, verse 2, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. The clearest, loudest, most prolific revelation of God to the world was in Jesus Christ. God Himself enters into human history, lives, dies, raises to pay the price for sin, to give people life, to reveal God to people, to show people who God is. If you want to get to know God, get to know Jesus. Jesus is God. And in fact, there's times in the Bible where they say, hey man, can, can you show us the Father? He says, get to know me. Again, a remix, but there it is. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. He's setting up, he's setting up the first of many con- compare and contrast for the whole book. Yeah, that old thing, that was cool. But the whole thing of that old thing was Jesus. The whole thing we were waiting for is Jesus. The whole point of all this is Jesus. Right? And so he's going to begin to tell us why Jesus is so amazing. And so again, I want you to see his answer to getting them passion or his answer to getting them off religion isn't to work a plan, but to show them Jesus. Right? At the core in our lives, if we're missing something, if we're off somewhere, our default mode is to make a plan and to make a strategy. This is how I'm going to fight this sin. This is how I'm going to get this out of my life. This is how I'm going to balance my books. This is how I'm going to make this thing better. And the thing we so often miss is the reason why the reason why we're missing it all is because we actually have missed something about who Jesus is. If they think that, yeah, Jesus is it, but we really need to prove how religious we are, so we got to add the rituals and make sure we show people how devout we are, and there's all this external, you've missed it. The whole thing he's going to come back to again and again and again. If you, ex- if you impose external stuff on your walk with Jesus, what you've done is you've sold out the gospel of Jesus. You've sold out grace. You've sold out the cross. You've sold out Jesus. And you've imposed a law on there. And the beautiful thing that he's going to tell us later is the law made nothing perfect. Because the best thing you get out of law when you build a law, when you say, my life is a mess, and you sit down and say, well, your life's a mess, let me get you a, a Christian life coach. So you need to get up at this time and do this and serve here and be here and do that, and I give you a cool Excel spreadsheet and your whole life is figured out. You ever been through that? Maybe it's my own personal counseling session with you here. It turns out when you do that, if you can follow every 15-minute bracket on the Excel spreadsheet with your new law, it turns out at worst you fail and it doesn't get you out of your sin or at best you succeed at the law you've imposed on your life and you grow in pride because you think you can do it on your own and the one thing you don't need if you can do everything on your own is Jesus. Right? It's not religion versus irreligion. It's not two ways, right? Be a good person, be religious, or while out and do keg stands. Right? It's not this or that. Right? This is the law. 
the law is a structure you impose on yourself and will ultimately impose on other people where you say, this is how you have to do it if you're going to survive. And when you do it, you justify yourself and say, yay, I did it, throw me a parade. You ever do it? You ever get there? Turns out it's just as empty and vacuous as it was before. There's no life there. You're a slave. Honestly, so often I feel like the problem, though, is that, that we feel like we're doing it. We feel religious. We feel like we're getting it all done. And the guy who's doing keg stands, who was me, that guy you can explain to him and you can say, hey, did you know your life is empty and vacuous and there's no point to anything? Yeah, that's why I'm doing keg stands. That's why I'm doing it. You want life? Yeah, I'm interested in life. Can you tell me about life? Yeah. Because God came to bring life. He didn't come to bring law. He came to free us from finding our identity and our purpose and our meaning and fulfillment from doing our own thing, whether it's something as pronounced as that. We can do our own thing in so many ways. I mean, you can do your own thing with a lazy boy and a TV, right? You don't need to be wiling out. You don't need to be running around. You don't need to be getting crazy to do your own thing and be the king of your own little silly universe. And man, there's a lot of loneliness in being the king of your own little silly universe, is there not? Likewise, on the other side, that law thing, that living for the rules, living for externals, living to say, oh, I'm a real Christian when I, when I get to, if I could only read this book, if I only could pray this long, if I could only get up and read my Bible every morning. You, you can do that to yourself. You can set your alarm, and most people will make it, I don't know, maybe it's that I'm not disciplined enough for the law, uh, but you can make it for a while, then you fail. You fail, you, you miss it. You, you miss the reason that there's any reason to set your alarm at 6 a.m. is for the same reason I make sure not to miss date night. It's the same reason I make sure not to miss the hangs with my kids, because I love my kids and I love being with them. I love date night because I love my wife. And the reason why I have any joy at 6 in the morning to roll out of bed and pray or to read my Bible is because I believe God has spoken. And He's spoken through His Son Jesus. And He's spoken through His Word. And He's come to bring us life and freedom and joy. And so the author of the Hebrews is going to be beating this drum. Stop doing Law, it will kill you. It won't do it. It won't bring you life and it won't bring you joy. At best, it'll bring you pride. At worst, it'll bring you just misery. And his thing for the guys who've lost the passion is that you missed who he was. You didn't, you didn't really see who he was. And so he's going to tell us who he is. These are some of the densest uh, ideas uh, in the whole of the Scriptures right here. And they're amazing. And when you actually read them slowly... They're amazing. And he's just going to start here, tee us off, and then he's just going to try and dump logs on the fire of our worship for Jesus. Because authentic Christian living doesn't start from the outside. It starts from Jesus and seeing who he is and growing in a passion for who he is and the freedom he's given us and the life he gives us. Why? Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom he also created the world. That's a weird thing to say. He's the heir and he created... What do you mean he's the heir? If he created everything, how can he even be the heir? Right? What does that mean? What are you talking about? We kind of read those verses fast and just move on. Because they're weird. 
right? Whom he appointed the heir of all things. So right now he's again leaning in on the Old Testament story. Because here's the reality. God made everything good. He made human beings very good. And human beings very early on think they can do it on their own. Human beings very early on think they don't need God. And very early on break everything because they think they don't need God who made everything good. Right? And right from the get-go, right when human beings break everything, right when sin enters the world, right when uh, you see both uh, uh, immediately see things like the law enter in as they're like, oh, quick, cover up. Uh, Put some fig leaves together. Look, hey, we've got our lives together. Look, God, it's cool. We've got it together. Right? They did that, and then they did the wiling out. They did what they wanted to do. Well, God said not to do that, but what does he know anyways? Right? We always miss this, right? As a parent, most enlightening moment of my life to understand Genesis 2. Parents, if you're a parent, why do you tell your kids not to run into the street? Because you love them. God told them not to run into the street and they ran into the street. That's what's happening there. That's what's happening in Genesis 2. And right from the get-go, right in Genesis 3, he makes a promise. You broke it. Genesis 3, 15. It's called the Proto-Evangelion is the $10 word for it. Maybe $15 word for it. The pre-gospel. There's one who's going to come and he's going to, the snake's going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush his head. There's one who's going to come and he's going to restore everything. And the Old Testament just beats this drum over and over and over again. There's going to be a prophet like Moses, but better. Uh, uh, Abraham's seed, we're told in Galatians. Abraham, you're going to have this seed and it's going to do this amazing thing and your, your people are going to be like, your, your family's going to be like the stars in the sky, whatever. And Galatians says that seed, singular, is Jesus. Messiah. Uh, Psalm 2, Psalm 110. The whole thing is saying, there's somebody who's coming. Uh, all of Isaiah is saying, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 53. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. He's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. And the Old Testament keeps saying it and people keep screwing up and people keep walking away from God. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix it. That person, person's the Messiah. That's a fancy word for anointed. We don't really do much anointing. Like, we don't anoint the president anymore, so it gets a little lost on it, but it's usually what you did for kings. There's going to be this kingly guy who's going to come, and when his kingdom comes, everything's going to be the way it's supposed to be. That king is the heir. He's talked about as an heir in Psalm 2. And so what he's doing, he's pointing to, hey, there's a guy coming and his name's Jesus and he's going to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. Oh, and by the way, the guy who's going to be the heir of all things, the one who's going to put everything back the way it's supposed to be, is the one who created all things. How profound is that? So God who made everything is the God that we live in rebellion against. He's the God that we take the things that he made. Chocolate. Uh, you know, this is where I don't look at anybody because then they're all, oh man, foosball, that's my thing. You take the things he made and you make them the ultimate thing in your life. And it can be little things. It can be little things that nobody else knows. Right? That's between you and God. But if there's something in your life that's more important than he is, or something in your life where you find your ultimate meaning and purpose and fulfillment from, that is God in your life. That is what you worship. If there's something you can't live without, that's the point of your life. If I couldn't live without that, that's the point of your life. 
And the thing is, we take the things that he created and we make them into little gods. Isaiah is going to say, you climb up a tree, you cut down a branch, you carve a little statue, and then you take the rest of the wood and you burn fire for it, and then that's what you do. Ridiculous. Isaiah is also pretty sassy. Can you call a prophet sassy? I don't know. He's pretty sassy. So you do this thing, and, and, you do and we look at it, and we're like, yeah, sure, cool, that's great. It's not that weird for us in Seattle because we have such pluralism in Seattle. But at the point in time in which you say, you know, my job is it. Because when I go places and people know that this is the job I do, they accept me and they love me and they think I'm awesome and I come in and I save everything. And so my job, your job, a job, becomes more important than anything else. Yeah, I know, the, I know the kids, right? Uh, they'll be in bed again, but I got to finish this project. I got to finish this project. And you do that for 10 years and your kids never see you before dinner. You don't start seeing your kids until they're grown up and teenagers and staying up past bedtime. Now, the reason you did that wasn't to work hard to put food on the table and that's the way it was and you have shift work. I know there's different circumstances for parents. But at the end of the day, if that's the thing you're doing because you need your boss to pat you on the back and say, you got it done two days early again. I love you. You're amazing. And that's what you live for, not your kids and not Jesus. And God's the one who created that and gave it to you as a gift and then you take it and you make it that, that, that's the thing that your heart's for. That's the thing that's the motivational structure of your life. I told you it was dense. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the radiance of the glory of God. The glory of God. Is the thing, is the, this pillar of smoke in the Old Testament that leads God's people out of captivity in Egypt, leads them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and into the rest that is their promised land. Okay? What he's saying is that was cool, and that was most definitely God's manifest presence among his people, but that is nothing compared to the man Christ Jesus who walked on earth for 33 years. God himself who sat, ate, drank, healed, preached, died, rose. Yeah, the pillar of smoke was cool. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the manifest presence, the revelation of Jesus to the world. And so as cool as it was that God used the pillar of smoke, God's presence there led the people out, through, and out. Jesus Christ, the real Passover lamb, the real glory of God, was among God's people, just like the pillar of smoke was the presence of God among his people. Jesus came to dwell among us in John's gospel. The word he uses is tabernacle, which is the thing the pillar of smoke was over. Be tabernacled among us. That Jesus came to dwell among us, came to be with humanity, came to give us life, was among us who was the Passover lamb who died. So just as the people were liberated from Egypt, we ourselves can be liberated from our sin. We can be liberated from our religion. He came and he was this thing. He was God's manifest presence among his people. Say, I'm not messing around with Jesus. This is Jesus. He keeps going. And the exact imprint of his nature, this nature word 
is the word that later people will use as they try and wrap their minds around the idea that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are one and three. They have one nature and three persons. Same word. It's the same word, nature. It's the same word in the Greek or whatever. I won't try and slaughter, slaughter it and pronounce it wrong, but there it is. Right? He's saying Jesus... And mind you, these people are hearing, this is, this is their lifetime. Like, there are people among them who know people who at least know people who were probably there or were around. This might even be a letter to Jerusalem where Jesus was. And he's saying, that Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, the one you guys are beginning to either lose passion for or add to, that was the exact imprint of God's nature. That was God Himself among you. Don't get bored with God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This one gets me every time. Because I am a human being and I'm limited. Because he's holding up the universe now. And in two seconds, when I say now. And the blood in, in our veins, but not just the blood in our veins, the blood in the veins of everybody at Calvary across the street, our brothers and sisters who worship across the street, right? He's holding up their church too. And not only is he holding up their church, he's holding up all the cars. I mean, we can just keep kind of getting out into, you know, sort of uh, space rock theology. I don't know what you want to call that. Like, you kind of just wander off and think about all the things God's doing, which isn't actually a bad thing to do from time to time. This Jesus did those things. This Jesus who's holding up the universe by the word of his power did what? Here's this awesome sandwich. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's the one who's holding up the universe by the word of his power entered into human history to make you right with God. All your running, all your rebelling, all, all taking your identity from your job or... You know, how many people like the thing that you said on Twitter or whatever, however that thing works, right? Everything that you thought was awesome in your life that was actually pointedly you saying, I don't really need you, God, or I'm better than you, God, or I'm the center of the universe, God, or whatever, the one who's actually God who you're saying all those things to, the God who's holding up the universe by the word of his power, entered into human history to make purification for sins. All of your sins. This word purification has an internal and an external reference. Washing you clean, white as snow, inside and out by the blood of the Lamb, the one who's holding up the universe by the word of His power, entered to pay the price for your sins and give you life. He died so you don't have to. Don't get bored with this. Don't, don't get bored with this. But not only that, seated, ruling, reigning next to God. He sat down. Uh, sometimes we miss some of these little images. That's an image of completedness. And uh, in the old days, the old days, like it was like 1910, uh, back in the day they would have uh, various 
arenas where people would talk and do discourse, and you do it standing up. And then when you sat down, you're, you're done. Argument over. Somewhere I think I even read that it's like how you'd even make your point. If it's for me, I'm busy. Sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. With that action, he's the same, the same thing he said on the cross. It is finished. That Greek translates out, another way you could translate that, paid in full. Okay? Because what they start doing is lost stuff, right? He's making a point. They, they want to go back to the temple and they want to start... Uh, sacrificing, uh, sacrificing animals to pay the price for their sins. Start adding to what it is that they're doing. And he's saying you can't add to Jesus. You can't add to what He's done. You can't add to what He's paid for. He can't, you can't add to the life He's given you. And how quick do we default to that? How quick do we want other people? I, I'm, uh, I know He said He was sorry, but I want Him to be more sorry. You're not the heart police. It's finished. At the point in time when someone said, I'm sorry, and you want to push it beyond that, you play heart police, and you don't believe that it's finished. And you put law on them. You put law on them. You put some standard that says, yeah, I know, that's nice, Jesus Christ, if you're dealing with a Christian brother or sister, right? I know Jesus Christ paid the price for their sins, but I want to get a little more out of them. You have law. You do it to yourself. I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Sorry, it's not a choice you get to make. It's finished. You're forgiven. When we don't believe that he spoke, we don't believe what he said. Okay? That seems pretty simple, right? When we don't believe that he spoke, we don't believe what he said. We either don't believe that it's finished or we don't believe that he actually knows how our life should go. Right? I'm not saying that you can go to the Bible and get the answer on whether or not you should move to Cleveland. And if you're moving to Cleveland, then we're having a Holy Spirit moment. Uh, Random example, right? But what can the Bible tell you about moving to Cleveland? Well, it can tell you a lot about your own heart. It can tell you a lot about why you're doing what you're doing. You can see some examples Ruth chapter 1, you know, uh, Elimelech, who named his kids Milion and Kilion, which are horrible names. He's there in Bethlehem, and there's a famine. And he leaves his family, and he leaves his friends, and he leaves his community to go chase money. What happens to him in uh, the fields of Moab? Anybody remember? He dies. Now, if you come up to me after service and say, well, I'm planning on moving to Cleveland. If I go to Cleveland, am I going to die? That's not what I'm saying. Right? It's not like, uh, you know... It's not a fortune-telling book, right? Like That's not the deal. But you can still look at that and be like, you can actually examine your own heart and be like, am I moving to Cleveland for the right reasons? Am I going to be a part of a good church there? Am I going to live on mission to Cleveland? Is that the place for my kids? Is that the place for my family? Is that what God wants from me? Or is that just where career and accolades sit? I'm not the heart police. Talk to Jesus about it. But I, but I tell you what, he's giving the spirit and the word and he'll help you. I'll help you listen to him. Sometimes we just decide, I'm going to do what I want. I don't want to listen to the church. I don't want to listen to the word. And by the church, I don't mean 
Uh, I just mean you know, like your community, the people you're doing life with, right? Just do what you want to do. Or you don't believe he spoke, so you do what he want, you want to do. If you don't know Jesus, half of my job is to convince you that this isn't just a dusty book of rules. This is God's revelation to us. Right? You might think I'm a total idiot. Okay? I do sometimes. Right? But if you don't know Jesus, take one of our Bibles. Take it home. Start in Matthew and ask the Holy Spirit to show you Jesus. It's a dangerous move. He saves people that way. But I tell you what, this is God's self-disclosure. The point of the Gospels is not to show you uh, some rules. It's to show you Jesus so you'd repent and believe and have life in the Son of God. And the letters aren't new law, a bunch of rules. It's saying this is who Jesus is, so this is how we live in the wake of actually having a relationship with the God who made everything. The other thing we do is we do religion. This is actually the scariest thing for us as Christians. Because no one can be the heart police for you, and you can take the best things of Jesus and turn them into laws. You can take the best things of Jesus and turn them into things that say, I'm going to do this so God will love me. If I would only do this, then God would bring me this other thing I want. Oh man, if I, if I could just be a godly dude, God would bring me a wife. That's what I need to do. I need to be a godly dude and God will bring me a wife. Are you being a godly dude so you can be a good husband? Are you being a godly dude because you want to know Jesus better? Are you being a godly dude so God will give you something? But hey, I'm not the heart police. Right? You talk to him about it. You talk to him about it. Now, if you're a godly dude, does that mean you're going to get a wife? I don't know. Does it mean that uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which just isn't about beating people at wrestling? Uh, like the two guys who actually did sports in Anchor Church get that joke, and everyone's like, what are you? I don't even know what you're talking about. Put on your jersey. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know how to be brought high, and I know how to be brought low. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. What does that mean? I know how to win, and I know how to lose, and all I've got is Jesus. Christians, family, there's a, there's a strong testimony. When all you have, when all the world sees is you winning and giving Jesus the credit, and you should give Him the credit, you miss the testimony that when you're losing and you say Jesus is enough and you're suffering and Jesus is enough and Jesus is joy and Jesus is enough in the worst of it. That's testimony. Jesus is enough in your brokenness. Jesus is enough to just confess, hey, I'm broken and jacked up and I need some help. Because here's the deal. God has spoken, and we don't always listen. God has spoken, we don't always believe, and God has spoken, and we don't always obey. But God has spoken through His Son, who heard the Word of God and did obey, and He obeyed perfectly on our behalf. He did everything that needs to happen for us to be people to know God. He did everything that needs to happen for us to have access to God. He's our perfect high priest who's washed us clean so that we can have a relationship with God, so that when you pick up the phone, it's never on hold and you never have a bandwidth problem. Jesus never puts you on hold because of what Jesus did on the cross. He did it perfectly so you could have everything. So you could have life. That's the drum the author of Hebrews is going to be. Jesus is the better. Jesus gives life. Jesus is the better. Jesus gives life and it's freedom. That's what Jesus says. Uh, we're going to transition to a time of communion.
We're gonna, and then we're going to stand up and sing. And we're going to remember Jesus, who's it. We're going to remember Jesus' cross, His body broken and bloodshed for our sins so that we can know God. And the beautiful thing about this time, He sat down. It's finished. So we take it seriously. We look at the stuff. Yeah, this is where I'm worshiping this or doing that or doing something. You take that time. You take it. You ask yourself why you're doing that thing. You hold it down. You say, yeah, man, I do love money. Why do I love money? Because it gives me comfort. Why do I love comfort? Because Jesus isn't my comfort. Jesus, please forgive me. And we understand that he died to forgive you for your sins. And so, yeah, we take that seriously. But when we stand up, We stand up and we celebrate. We stand up and we sing and we stand up and we take this cup, Jesus' body broken and bloodshed for you with great joy because he's done everything to make you right with God. Let's pray. Jesus, man, we we add and we get distracted. We get to live our whole lives in your presence because of your cross and your resurrection. Help us to understand just clearly what you've done. You've forgiven us for our sins and you've given us life. Help us to live. Help us to repent of our sin, to get it out of the way so that we can see you clearly and follow you clearly and live the life you've got for us. Jesus, we love you. Pray these things for your glory. For our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.